Welcome to the Future Is podcast, where we explore the future of your life and business. I'm your host, Joe Tobis, and today we're going to talk about supply chain. So early on in the pandemic last year, supply chains came into focus with consumers when stores couldn't keep their shelves stocked with certain items, toilet paper, cleaning supplies, and more. But clearly all sectors were impacted um, on both the demand and supply side, and Honeywell's supply chain was forced to make rapid and significant changes to meet the needs of our customers. Today, of course, the news is once again focused on supply chains as the world works through the process of getting vaccinations out to patients around the world. And once again, Honeywell is involved. So here to break down all these areas and also to talk about what technology means for the future of supply chains is Honeywell's Senior Vice President and Chief Supply Chain Officer, Torsten Pills. So Torsten, welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me. So, Torsten, let's um, let's start with a, a more personal note. Tell me about your background. How does somebody become a chief supply chain officer? You know, I'm actually a chemical engineer. Um, that's my background, and um, hmm. I, I I had a couple of um, you know roles, really starting from engineering roles, um, operational roles. And at some point, um, I really felt that to connect all the dots, to really um, reach outside the pure technical um, fields, that this is really interesting. And this is a field that's um, not very well understood by a lot of people. And um, I, I started to uh, be intrigued by that. And uh, I joined a company that uh, was a consumer goods company, Henkel. And I ran their supply chain uh, in, in, in North America. Uh, for a couple of years and um, so you had uh, production you had logistics you had a lot of customer service and I had a lot of interactions with with large-scale customers like retail chains Walmart and these and these and um, and um, what I found was that um, the problems you have to deal with are relatively complex and um, I'm driven by, um, you know, solving engineering and production supply chain problems. And um, that, that's what, what, what's really interesting to me. At that time, I decided to join um, basically the holy grail of supply chain management. I went to Amazon because uh, I wanted to figure out how, how, how do they operate? What's the, what's the secret sauce? And um, it, it, it was a fun, fun time there. Um, I got to build... Um, a lot of their their um, operations that that you can still enjoy today. If you think about Amazon Fresh, Prime Now, um, Prime Pantry, all these uh, high speed, um, same day, uh, next two hours, uh, next day delivery uh, systems. So that was a lot of fun. So and I, I somehow graduated, I would say, from an engineering role into an operations role, and then took on larger uh, supply chain roles and. Uh, well, this is how you then become the leader of a of a pretty pretty complex and pretty cool supply chain organization like like ourselves here, the the one at, at Honeywell. Yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense, right, to have that engineering background, solving complex issues like supply chains and and delivering for customers. So, as it relates to that, Torsten, um, you really played a big role when the pandemic hit in helping to get our own supply chain up and running not only quickly, but safely for our own employees and for our customers. How do you think we did 
And, uh, you know, with a year's perspective, is there anything you've learned from that experience now, a year later? Well, I would say um, uh, the last year was a learning for everybody in, in, in any supply chain role. If you haven't learned anything, then you didn't really pay close attention. So, of course, we learned a lot. But uh, to answer your question, how did we do? I think we, we did pretty well. In hindsight, I would say um, what what we were able to do is that we that we really tried to um, anticipate things early on and we reacted quickly in supply chain mm -hmm. it's the biggest problem is if you react too late and then you have to fix a problem and that's that's always hard it's always hard what we did was in the early days when we saw that something was going on in china we rallied basically the entire global team and uh and uh, try to manage this and 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 understand what was going on and, and what can we do to 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 mitigate those things and um and that, that was not only us here at the at the headquarters and the China team. It was basically the global supply chain team, the, the broader global supply chain team, and not only supply chain, including government relations um, and other other sure. procurement, all these things. And um, it became so, so Torsten, give, give me while you're while you're describing this, give me a scale of what our what our portfolio is, our manufacturing and supply chain. So portfolio. we run globally about um, two hundred plus factories, and we run mm -hmm. two hundred. Um, distribution centers and we have about 50,000 yeah. people so it's it's pretty pretty large scale and we are actually operating uh, on every continent outside the Antarctica so we are we are we are truly we are running truly a global network um, so it is is imperative that you 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 look at certain regions you learn from it and then you try to anticipate what's going to happen on a global scale and that's what that that's what we actually did and and hence we were able to mitigate most of the risks uh, pretty fast and uh, i'd say we didn't lose a lot of of production capacity so in general i would say about a day per factory last year which which was pretty good compared to others wow yeah that <laughs> that's tremendous so actually, as it relates to that, so uh, you mentioned if you if you're not learning, I don't know where you are, which of course makes sense. How did COVID affect supply chain? Not not just in terms of the impact you talked about, maybe one day loss, but um, how did it affect maybe even um, strategies that that uh, supply chains are going through, transformation and otherwise. And and are and are there any uh, after effects that you expect will continue as a result of the changes that have been coming through this time frame? Let me highlight a couple of things. One thing we really learned was how important it is to have basically real-time data and understand what's going on. So for us, this has a huge impact because we are we made a decision to build a, a, a digital backbone for our supply chains so that we really understand what's going on everywhere in the, in the world, more or less an automated system. And then the other thing is that we understood um, how important automation is. So we, we pivoted quickly uh, uh, in the year 2020 to really focus on additional automation activities in our factories. And I would say the last one is you need to think about what is the structure of your supply chain and become very, very apparent that a, a very highly efficient global supply chain is also a, a vulnerable supply chain. And um, we, we never had really a totally global supply chain we always had a more regional setup and we and this this helped us quite a bit so what we learned was there there were a couple of things where we had to make decisions to further focus on additional regionalizations but i think we always had a pretty resilient supply chain but the learnings of 2020 really helped us 
making our supply chain even more resilient. So I think those were the three big, big learnings for us. So you talked a little bit about data. I've had a chance to talk with several uh, folks from Honeywell Forge, including Q on this podcast. And I know that we've uh, deployed Honeywell Forge uh, technology into our own facilities. Any thoughts on how that's been used with our own facilities and, and what the results have been? Yeah, uh, look, we, we are actually fortunate. We are as a, as a company and because we have a couple of things not many companies have. On one side, we have Forge and Forge is basically technology that we utilize to, it's the back end or the backbone of, for us to mm-hmm. create an, a gigantic data infrastructure, not only a data infrastructure, but, but also analytics engines, application layers. Um, so we can we can basically build our own digital supply chain on on top of it. And the other thing is, uh, when you talk about technology, we're also a, a manufacturer of a lot of automation technologies, sensors, and things. So so we we can basically uh, utilize things that are made by Honeywell for our own in our own facilities. And what we had to do is is to connect all these dots and to to bring it all together and really build one one platform. And I'm I'm pretty proud of what the team has accomplished over the last couple of months to to build this out and help us out here. The supply chain of the future, in many ways, over the last few years, kind of your been put on your shoulders. I know as you kind of came up, as is really thinking about how we how we focus on transforming supply chain and utilizing technology. Where do you think Honeywell is on the path towards that? Are we in the early stages? Are we halfway there? Where do you think we are? I don't think we are in the early stages. I think, you know, if you are in an, in an operations role, you always feel like you are behind. You always feel like there are so many things that you can do. <laughs> Um, but but that keeps you humble. But but I think we made some really significant progress over the last couple of years. We put in a lot of foundational things. And you mentioned technology. Yes, the future of supply chain is technology driven, but it is also driven by the right setup, the right simplified structure, really thinking through these processes end to end. I would say probably we are halfway through whatever halfway means, but, you know, at the end of the day, a supply chain is somehow the purpose of a supply chain is to connect uh, customers with products and to fulfill uh, customer demands in the in the most efficient way. That that that's what we do, and and there will always be room uh, for more efficiencies, um, more improvements. Um, but I feel pretty good of about where we are right now. So let me um, let me shift gears. Um, a couple of weeks ago, Darius uh, announced that Honeywell was going to be part of a um, partnership with some of the largest companies in the North Carolina area, Atrium and, and Tepper Group, which owns the Panthers, uh, to help vaccinate people and really accelerate the process here in North Carolina. And I know one of the paths that we're taking to get at that is really taking the playbook that you guys have and really our operating system and applying it for this uh, for this rollout. I, I'd be interested to hear your perspective on it. How did how do we help in in transforming what we do with, you know, with with our products and offerings and how do we translate that to the needs that are that are here to vaccinate patients. Well, first of all, uh, Joe, I think we are starting. We, we are trying to create a playbook um, because 
you know, there is no playbook for real, really large-scale vaccination efforts. It's something we all learn. And uh, the experience so far has been outstanding. I mean, we ran a vaccination event a couple of days ago at the Charlotte Motor Speedway, and it went exceptionally well. So what we're trying to do is, um, you know, we're trying to contribute and lead with our expertise in running large-scale industrial and complex processes. And at the end of the day, um, this is some some sort of a large scale, somewhat of an industrial process. If you want uh, to vaccinate tens of thousands of people in a day, it's all about flow. It's all about not not uh, stopping the line. You know, it always already sounds like an assembly line at that point. So that that's what we what we what we contributed. Meaning, we looked at the process and tried to identify what are potential roadblocks. Are there steps in this process that can be automated? How do we monitor if the process flows? What kind of technology can be used to help people involved in this process to do a better job to make it easier? You know, you have at the end of the day, you have two options. If you if you really want to vaccinate a lot of people, you can say, I want to do this smaller sites, but you need then uh, hundreds and thousands of those sites. Or you want to do this in a limited amount of sites, but then you have to have tens of thousands of people in, in these sites. And um, we believe that large scale is is better because it, it creates efficiencies and it creates speed. And at the end of the day, this is what ha- what matters really that you that we can vaccinate as many people as possible in the shortest amount of time. That's that's the goal. We are so um, at Honeywell, but but every supply chain person is so obsessed with efficiency and speed mm-hmm. and, uh, that that this is just a natural fit, and um, it worked very well with the with our partners from Atrium who are very professional in terms of everything clinical, right? And then the the, the Charlotte Motor Speedway and the Bank of America Stadium or the, the Panthers, they know how to how to host tens of thousands of people in a in a, in a stadium or on, on a on a racetrack. So all together I think it's um, it's really a, a combination that that worked really, really well for us. Yeah, it goes back, um, Torsten, to you, you talked a little bit about your background as a, an engineer and solving problems. It's, uh, I guess in this case, you just, you're solving a different kind of problem and figuring it out to serve the, the better good. Yeah, absolutely. So you've lived all over the world. You talked a little bit about uh, some of your experiences, I guess, mostly in the U.S., but I know you've lived in Germany and, uh, and also the Middle East and by your accent, I'm going to guess you were not born in the U.S., so I'm guessing you've lived in a number of countries. Uh, how many countries is a total have you lived? <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean, my, my accent, I mean, I, I don't know if it will ever will go away. It's a German accent, so I was born and raised in Germany. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up, I mean, I went to school in the Middle East. Um, my parents uh, worked there for a couple of years. Actually, I, I went to school in Baghdad, Iraq, and uh, that's today's frightening wow. for, many, for many people. But at that time, it was uh, actually a, a, a very good experience. And it, uh, you know, it teaches you different cultures early on in your, in your, in your life. And that, uh, it helps you to appreciate that, you know, it's just a different country, but it's the same sort of people. It's not so different. Mm-hmm. They, they speak a different language, but um, you have your friends there, and you're for, it becomes normal. And uh, and then moved to to the U.S. and been living here for many years. I'm married to an American. Kids uh, went to high school here. They are now in college. So it's uh, yeah, it has become our home for for many years now. Well, that's great. Yeah, I um, Iraq. That's amazing. Um, uh, what a unique experience. 
So, Torsten, we, um, we're, we're towards the end of our time together. And um, it, it, for those who listen to the podcast, they know that I, I finish up my podcast asking the same three questions of all of my guests. So, um, so I'm going to ask them of you. Are you ready? Sure. All right. When you were a kid, Torsten, what did you want to be when you grew up? When I was a kid, I wanted to be a really good drummer. Drummer? Yes. Like in a rock band? Yes. <laughs> okay, well then, here's this isn't a que- the, on, the, on the list, but at what age did you determine you were not going to be a rock star drummer? <laughs> Probably, I, I determined at the age of four that I want to become this when uh, a, a rock drummer let me play with his drum kit and then at, a, at probably at age of 14 I said that's not going to work and I'm, 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 I'm good enough. So, so I switched to a more technical environment and uh, became an engineer well it's better than learning it around 34 so uh, that's good all right uh, second question Torsten what piece of technology that is not your phone, could you not live without? Um, that's a tough one. Right? Because um, the phone is everything, right? The phone is everything, yeah. Um, listen, I have another, like, a, it's not a secret, but I, 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 what I do from time to time is making beer. And, oh. um, and in my, I have a little, like, a, a brewery in my garage. And um, the best piece of technology there is a control uh, unit to control all the beer making processes and um, temperatures, flows, all these things. So over the last couple of years, I automated that pretty much. And uh, (laughs) without that, I would not be happy anymore. So I have so many questions to ask on this. So you automated the process? You... You built. You built them. You you basically built a a brewery in your garage. Yeah, I did. And you know, the the better the control (laughs) of this process, the better the quality. So it's very natural. And and what uh, what kind of beer are you brewing? Um, You know, I'm I'm I I like all kinds of. um, But I think the last couple of ones was a Belgian triple, a Hefeweizen, an IPA. So those were and the Kolsch. So those were the last four um, batches that I made. Oh, I love Belgian triple. All right. Well, I'll have to come to your garage one day and and taste taste the uh, fully automated uh, uh, beer. Very cool. All right. Last question, Torsten. Um, how many unread emails are in your inbox? <laughs> That's an unfair question. <laughs> <laughs> it's very telling of personality, though. Um, look, uh you know, I'm I'm, a, I'm totally priority driven. So the first thing I do in the morning is that I said that I go through my emails and um, prioritize. So what needs to happen immediately? What can uh, wait till later? What is probably good for information purposes but doesn't necessarily warrant a response? So I think right now, if I look at this, let me look at this. I have it right right here. There are like 343. 343. Hmm. Okay. Well, I can tell you that um, uh, in the course of the 30 plus um, uh, episodes, we've had people who have had zero mm-hmm. <laughs> and we've had people who have had 4,000. Okay. So you're, I think you're on the, on the better end. You're on the, okay. you're on the front end. Okay. Well, <laughs> I, I hope people who uh, are waiting for a response from me <laughs> realize <laughs> yeah. that. 
<laughs> yeah, those those three hundred some odd people are like, there's the answer. I'm sorry. All right. Well, hey, Torsten, thanks so much for joining us today. This was a great discussion. Yeah. Uh, thanks for having me, Joe. And thank you for listening to this episode of The Future Is. If you like what you heard, leave us a five-star review where you get your podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe to go behind the scenes of future technology. Thank you.